You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to Micah, to the, uh, to the Old Testament book, uh, Micah. Uh, it might be easier just to go to the table of contents uh, and, and find it there and then uh, find your way. Uh, if you're familiar uh, with the Bible, um, you'll be able to find it. Go, go to Matthew and turn left a couple of pages. Um, Micah is in that portion of the Old Testament right before the New Testament that is uh, in a, a grouping of, of prophets called the Minor Prophets. Micah is not minor because he had a small message. It's minor because he had a short message, uh, but he is, his message is major. Minor prophet with a major message. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 is where we will spend some of our time. And uh, there's a couple other scriptures that we will turn to. And you might just want to write these down in the uh, margin of your Bible or on a, on a piece of scratch paper. And uh, all of them will be on the screen. I love Christmas time, don't you? I love it. Um, I love spending time with family. Uh, historically, uh, Christmas Eve has always been a strong night for our family. Our entire family gets together. and um, It's sad because as families have grown and have moved off, it's not what I remember as a child. But I'm 48 years old, and I still want it to be like it was when I was seven. Anybody else? Do you remember? Um, uh, but I love this time of year. It's, it's, Christmas is an opportunity for us as Christians to look back and to marvel at, to have our hearts stirred up in wonderment at the birth of our Lord and Savior. That's ultimately, I mean, as much as we love to think about our family and, you know, the roles that my grandmother could make, homemade, uh, in the pecan pie and as much as those memories are great, but just to look back and to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, to, to, just to be reminded again, fresh and anew, that God left the glory and the splendor of heaven, clothed Himself in flesh, and came to live among us. What a beautiful, beautiful thought. And the heart behind my message this morning is I want us to look to the future return of King Jesus with the same confidence that we have looking back at Jesus' first uh, arrival. Let me say that again. I, I want us to, to look forward with as much confidence at the return of King Jesus as we look back at the confidence of His first arrival. I want us to have our anticipation redeemed with a confident expectancy of a returning king. That is the title of my message this morning, a redeemed expectancy. I, I think as Christians, we often need to be reminded. We need our expectancy that Jesus is coming back. I, we need that 
That, flame, that, that fan flamed, that, 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 those burning embers, we need them to become a roar. That, just that knowledge, that confidence, the freedom that comes of remembering that Jesus is coming back. And He could come back at any moment. When you read the, uh, the New Testament letters and you, you just you get a sense from them, and even in Revelation, the end of Revelation, you just get this over and over that they believe that Jesus would come back any moment. There's nothing stopping Jesus from coming back. The only reason He waits is out of grace for lost people to hear the gospel. And if Jesus waits to come back after this message, and there is one person here that does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the reason He hasn't come back is so that you would come to faith in Him. It's grace. That's why He has not come back. Listen, it's not that we have to be reminded that Jesus was born in a manger. It's not that we have to be reminded uh, that Jesus was born of a of a virgin. It's not that we have to be reminded of those things, but we need to be reminded so that our hearts would be stirred and set ablaze that the same God who promised a Savior also promised a returning King. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, is coming. Again, His his arrival could be at any moment. Christian brothers and sisters, when he arrives, what we long for will happen. What we pray for today will happen. Brokenness will cease when Jesus comes back. Brokenness. I, I, when, think about the brokenness that you pray that God would, 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 would put back together. If God chooses not to answer that prayer the way that we would like it to be answered. I'm telling you, when Jesus comes back, brokenness will cease. Sickness and disease will cease. I pray that we see in our lifetime uh, uh, a cure to cancer. But if we don't see it, when Jesus comes back, cancer will cease. Disease will cease. Sickness will cease. Poverty, hunger will cease. Temptations will cease. Wars will cease. Calamities will cease. The separation from our Heavenly Father will cease. There will no longer, for us brothers and sisters in Christ, there will no longer be a separation between us and our God. We will be seated at His feet, kneeled face down worshiping Him. Separation will be gone. The peace that we long for will not be found this side of heaven. And so, am I saying that we stop praying for the cure of cancer? Am I saying that we stop pray, stop praying for for brokenness to be healed? No, not at all. We continue to pray for that. But there is a hope that we have. There is a confidence that we have, and there needs to be a reminder that if we don't see that in our lifetime, it will all cease when Jesus Christ comes back, or when we go on to be with to have. It will cease. Listen, when we lose sight, here's the danger. When we lose sight of our returning Lord, we find ourselves fighting silly battles and we easily get consumed with the worries of this world. 
Many people work themselves to death trying to amass for themselves items that will soon, someday, end up in the junkyards. And I believe one of the causes, if not the major cause, of the eternal stress and the external battles that we have is because the majority of our lives is focused on this life instead of eternity. I mean, it's probably one of the the biggest reasons that we, most of the medicine that we take, I'm not anti-medicine, please don't hear that. So much of the stress, so much of the headache, so much of the, of the tension that we find ourselves in is because we are, we are focused, we are living for today and not for eternity. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians. Just, just uh, if you have a ribbon in your Bible, put it there and then turn over to the New Testament to this wonderful little book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Verses 1 through 4. Listen to what Paul says. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. So if you have been raised with Christ, notice the, um, notice the language that Paul is using. He's using this death to life language. Okay, watch what he says. So if you have been raised with Christ, in other words, you were dead in your sins, but now that you have been raised with Christ. So if you have been raised with Christ, watch what he says, seek the things above. Listen, that's not a passive command. That word seek is not a passive command. It is an imperative command. It is as we go about our day, seek the things above. It is not, you know, once a week, kind of give some attention to God, if you get around to it even then. Uh, you know, once a year around Christmas, kind of, kind of give some attention to God. It's not what Paul is saying. If you were dead and now you are saved, now you have been raised to life, and that's what a new Christian is. They were dead, now they have been raised to life. If that is you, here's his instruction. Seek the things above where Christ is seated. In other words, not on the things of this world, but on Christ, where He is at in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, a picture of authority, a picture of lordship. Seek Him where He is at. Notice what He says in in verse 2, another command. Again, not a passive command. Set your mind. Intentionally, when you wake up in the morning, set your mind. Set your mind, watch again, on things above. Not on earthly things. Why? Why does he give us that instruction? Verse 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Here's what Paul is pointing out to us. You, when you gave your life to Christ, he breathed life into you and your life is hidden in Christ. You're not going to find joy in the things of the world. Even though you're pursuing them, even though you think they're going to give you joy, even though you think they're going to give you peace, even though you think they're going to give you comfort, you're not of the world anymore. You have been hidden in Christ. Therefore, seek Him. Set your minds on Him. Look at verse 4. When Christ, notice the, notice there's a little bit of a time reference here. When Christ, who is your life, appears then. (laughs) I love this. 
then you will also appear with him in glory. Oh, you think there's joy in glory? There's dancing in glory. There's dancing in heaven. There's joy in heaven. There's peace in heaven. There's comfort in heaven. All that we long for in this world. For those of us who've given our life to Christ, it will be found in heaven. Look at Again, don't miss it. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Here's a question I want to ask you. What gives us confident hope that allows us to trust in verse 4? Go, go back to verse 4. Put, put that back on the screen if you don't mind. Look, look at verse 4 again. What gives us confident hope that allows us to trust and rest in verse 4. What gives us confident hope to, to, to seek the things above? What gives us confident hope to set our minds on things above? What gives us confident hope that Jesus Christ is going to come back? Here's the answer. God keeps His promises. God keeps His promises as can be seen in our text this morning in Micah chapter 3. God is a promise maker, and He is a promise keeper. So how can we trust Colossians chapter 3 verse 4? Because the same God who made the promise in Micah chapter 3 is the same God who makes the promise in Colossians chapter 3 verse 4. I want you to think about this statement for just a moment. The highest, the higher, I'm sorry, the trust the greater, the greater the willingness to be vulnerable. Let me say that again. The higher the trust, the greater the willingness to be vulnerable. Think about that just relationally. The higher you have trust in someone, the greater your willingness to be vulnerable in their presence. Right? I have a 99.8% confidence that Kim is never going to leave me. 99.8%. Where's, what about the other 0.2%? I'm not 100%, but I have told her that if she leaves me, I'm just going to go with her. So it's kind of like 100%. But 99.8, that's pretty good, right? I am so confident. I have so much trust in her. Let me tell you, I am willing to be vulnerable in seeing in her presence. You following me? I mean, sometimes even like really goofy opera or, 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 or just some crazy, goofy country song. I mean, I, I, have, I have so much trust that no matter how bad I sound, she is not going to leave me, and it ushers in a willingness to be vulnerable. You following me? I mean, if we could get it up to the 99.9%, I might rap in front of her presence. Not there yet. Think about that with God. The higher the trust, the greater the willingness to be vulnerable in His presence. The greater the willingness for me to seek Him instead of seeking the things of this world when all of my neighbors are seeking the things of this world. I trust Him. And I trust that he's coming back. 
And when he comes back, all of the brokenness, all of the sickness, all of the wars, internationally and personally, will cease. Let me ask you, can you be open? I mean like raw open to God who knows you. It's what we see in the Psalms, right? God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? It's what we read in the Psalms. You ever feel like screaming that out to God? Got to feel so insignificant. I can't figure this out. I keep struggling with this. Can we be that raw? Can we be that vulnerable with a God who, who knows us? He, he knows you. He, he knits you together in your mother's womb. He knows every hair on your head. And He knows you. And we can look back at the promises, the, the, the Old Testament promises that, that a Savior is coming, a King is coming, and we can see the fulfillment of those promises and say, oh God, you are a trustworthy God, therefore I can be vulnerable in your presence. Can you be exposed? That's what it means to be vulnerable. A lot of times we think of vulnerability as, as a negative. But it depends on who you're vulnerable in front of. It's not negative to be vulnerable in front of God. Can you be exposed to a God who knows your every sin and has chosen to cover your sin with His blood? Can you? That's, that's our Jesus. Can you be weak in the presence of a God who says, when you are weak, I am strong? That's, that's what it is to be vulnerable, to be open, to be exposed, to be weak. Think, think with me for a second, Peter. Let me give you another illustration. A biblical one, not a personal one. Think about Peter for a moment. He believed with all, every fiber of his being that Jesus had come to set up a new kingdom. He was the new king. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was praying and the, and the, uh, the, the, uh, the guards came to arrest Jesus, Peter is thinking in his mind, this is the new king. Who do you think you are arresting? My king, my savior. And what does he do? Peter pulls out a sword and he, he is willing to die for Jesus, even though the odds are against him, he's willing to pour out, pull out a sword, and he misses. I think he was trying to chop the dude's head off, and he just gets an ear. Even though Jesus told him, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to be arrested. He, he doesn't believe that. That's not where his trust is at. His trust is in Jesus is going to be the king. But what happens to Peter when he is arrested? And he's in front of the judge, and Peter's in the courtyard. A 16-year-old girl makes him weak at the knees. Hey, you're one of his followers, aren't you? <laughs> no, 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 not me. You kind of talk like him, aren't you? Didn't I see you? with No, 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 no. She's not willing to be vulnerable there. I mean, when the guards were coming, he was willing to be vulnerable. He believed. Fast forward just a little bit. We'll see this when we pick back up in the book of Acts. He has seen Jesus crucified. He has seen Jesus buried. 
He has seen the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. He has watched Jesus ascend up into heaven. And now Peter, who once believed, who once didn't believe, now he knows and his confidence, his trust is in the one who is trustworthy. And now he's willing and he does give his life for Jesus Christ. The higher the trust, the greater the willingness to be vulnerable. And so, let's dive into our text. Micah chapter 5, verse 3. And may our anticipation be revived by looking at one of the major prophecies of Jesus' birth. Micah, uh, who wrote Micah, this prophet, uh, lived roughly 700 years, get this, 700 years before the birth of Jesus. He was given a message to deliver by God. That's how prophets work, that God would speak to them, and God would say, now go and tell my people, and they would speak what God had told them. He is given a message to speak to the nation of Israel. His message is primarily a message of judgment because he is living in wicked days. And his message is primarily, God is about to judge you. But towards the end, he has a message of hope, which we find in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Look at it. Bethlehem, Ephrathah. He, he specifies, there's several Bethlehems. He specifies which Bethlehem? Bethlehem, Ephrathah. You are small among the clans of Judah. That's the location. Of something's about to happen. He's given them the location. Now he's about to give them the purpose. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. So watch the prophecy. Bethlehem, one is about to come from you who is going to rule over Israel, to which they are excited. A new king is coming. And you know that it, it, they're thinking, oh, it's about to take place. This could happen at any moment. Now watch what he says. This is very interesting, the, la the last part of verse 2. His, speaking of the one who is going to come, his origin, his Beginning, if you will. Although Jesus didn't have a beginning, Jesus always has been. But there's no way for you to put that in words. Jesus is outside of time. He's, he says his origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. I don't know if Micah knew what he was writing when he wrote that. I have a hard time believing that he would know. He's just trusting God. God said, this is what I want you to say. And so he says it. He writes it down. His origin. This is like no other person. The, the others we know about, they come from their mother, their mother and their father. But this one who is going to rule over the nation of Israel, his origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Now there's the prophecy. Fast forward 700 years. 400 of those years, they have not heard a word from God. Do you think people of that day are beginning to look to the world for joy? Look to the world for happiness? 
look within themselves, their own ability to pull themselves up by the bootstraps? Do you think they're, they're, they're hiding their own sin? They're not sure, you know, hey, this God has been silent. He's, he probably doesn't see what's really going on. He probably doesn't really know me. 400 years, silence. 300 years, they've been promised. And he's not coming, not coming, not coming. Matthew chapter 2. Look there with me. Matthew chapter 2. We see the fulfillment of Micah's prophecy. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Watch this. The one has now been given a name. Verse 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, of Judea. There's the place, the same place Micah prophesied about. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? There's a, a reference to Micah's prophecy 700 years before. Where is this one? We were told that, that one is going to be born and he's going to be king of the Jews. For we saw his star at its rising and have, have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, He was deeply disturbed. Another king? I'm the king. You mean there's going to be a king trying to overtake me? So he gets disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. Everyone's disturbed. So King Herod assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. Verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea. Well, how do you know that? Well, they told him because this is what was written by the prophet. Who are they referencing? They're referencing Micah the prophet. Look what they say in verse 6. They quote Micah the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Prophecy 700 years before it is ever fulfilled. Majority of that time, silence. It doesn't seem like God is at work in anyone's life. But Jesus made a promise, or God made a promise, and God kept His promise. I want you to notice, I want you to think for just a second, just kind of dive in, let's, let's dig into this. The place of Jesus' birth. The place of Jesus' birth is the epicenter of rampant apostasy. This is the birthplace of, of Jesus. Rampant apostasy. It's ground zero for idol worship. Government officials are openly leading the charge for massive social justice. This is going to be the birthplace of our Savior. Hypocrisy from the priests is rampant. Micah chapter 3 describes it just a little bit. Micah chapter 3 verse 1. Then I said, now listen leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, aren't you supposed to know what is just? He's calling them out, aren't you? Aren't, you're not doing what is just. Aren't you guys supposed to know? You're leading us. Aren't you supposed to know what is just? Listen, false teachers are pre- preaching a false security. They're going around saying, hey, all is well. There's nothing to be worried about. Even though, as they are saying that, the fertility god, Baal, was being worshipped and integrated within the Old Testament system. Yes, you can worship God, you can sacrifice to God, but let me show you this other god, this god, this fertility god named Baal. So they've just kind of recreated their god. They've added to their god. Well, we don't like the 
narrowness of the God of the universe, so we're going to add this other God. This was going on in the birthplace of our Lord and Savior. And Micah, by the power of God, knows Israel is about to be overtaken by Babylon. Jerusalem is going to be a pile of ruins. Watch this. In the midst of corruption, idol worship, false teaching, rampant hypocrisy, the prophet Micah announces, a ruler will come and bring peace. Ask yourselves for a second. Did a ruler come? Yes. Did he bring peace to the land? No. But he brought peace to hearts. He brought peace to hearts. Listen, prophet Micah pronounces this ruler is going to come and he's going to bring peace. Let me just, let me just encourage you with this. Don't let the current state of your life cause you to lose hope. Peace can be had and peace is coming. Notice something else. Bethlehem is this small little seamless, seemingly know-nothing little town. The population is, is somewhere sub-200. It's, it, is, it is tiny. Let me just say this. Don't buy the lie that you are insignificant and God can't use you. God can use you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 bears this out. You should write this down in the margin of your Bible. God has chosen what is foolish. Think about Bethlehem, this foolish little town. Hypocrisy is running rampant. This small, little, insignificant, know-nothing little town. God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. So that no one may boast in his presence. Listen, I don't care who you are or what you've done. God can't. God can. Sorry. God can use you. God loves to use the underdog. God loves to use the one where people say, how is he doing that? How is she doing that? Oh, it is only by the grace of God. We've looked at the place of His birth. Now let's look at the, the purpose of His birth. Why did Jesus come? Here's a little hint. We make horrible gods. <laughs> right? Have you ever tried it? <clears throat> I have. I've failed every time. <laughs> As you can expect. We make horrible God's think about all the stories throughout the Old Testament. God sets the people free from Egypt. And they they as soon as they get any kind of little resistance, they're like, "Hey, we we can't do this on our own. We need to go back to slavery." We make horrible gods. We make horrible saviors. All the evidence available to us shows that we cannot bring honor and glory to God on our own. We can't. Jesus came to bring honor and glory to God. 
John chapter 4, verse 34, if you remember the story, Jesus is, is, uh, is talking to this woman outside a, uh, at a well, at a water well. And, and she's having this come to faith. She's having to come to Jesus meeting, literally, with Jesus. All of Jesus' disciples had gone into town to, uh, to get some food and they, and they come back and they see Jesus talking to this Samaritan woman and they're, they're blown, their minds are blown because men didn't talk to, to women. Jews definitely didn't talk to Samaritan women. And here's Jesus talking to her. And listen to what Jesus says to the, His disciples. My food, in other words, my purpose, is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish. His work. That's Jesus. To do the will that God had sent him to do. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Look, look, just listen to this. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them, Paul says. This is why he came. To do the will of his Father. What is that will? To save sinners. Good ones? Yes. Bad ones? Absolutely. And Paul says, I am the worst of them. But look at verse 16. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. That's a purpose Jesus came. To do the will of His Father. To save sinners. Gross, immoral, yucky sinners. And those who have small sins. Who look righteous on the outside, but on the inside they're dead. Scripture says that we've all sinned. Scripture says that the wages of sin, singular, one sin. Is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. This is why Jesus came. Micah's, Micah's final message in his prophecy, he calls, calls the people to place their trust in God and obey Him. Micah chapter 7 will close out this wonderful little book, Micah chapter 7, verse 7 through 9 says this, But I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. Make My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will stand up. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against Him, I must endure the Lord's rage until He champions my cause and establishes justice for me. Watch this last line. He will bring me into the light. And I will see His salvation. Oh, that's the hope that we have. He will bring me into the light and I will see His salvation. Let me ask you a question. Have you made a decision to surrender your life to Christ? Maybe you haven't. You're here this morning and you're wondering, I'm not sure I can trust Him. Oh, listen, He's trustworthy. That's why, we, that's why we celebrate Christmas. 
Does his proven himself trustworthy prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, hundreds of years, thousands of years, from the very beginning of time, prophecy was made that Jesus was going to come. A Savior was going to come, and Jesus has come. Let me tell you, prophecy has been made. A promise has been made that Jesus is going to come again. And when he comes again, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, it will be too late for you to say yes to him then. It will be too late. We are living in a season of grace. This very moment that we are breathing right now is a moment of grace for us to say yes to Jesus Christ. He is worthy of you placing your trust in him. He is worthy of you being vulnerable, open in his presence. Will you do that today? Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.